I want to talk about finding and keeping a spiritual center in your life. We're going to look at the art of heaven-based thinking. You could also call it the practice of the presence of God. And our scripture passage for the day is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's a fantastic four verses. And so I looked them up in several other translations, and another way of translating and understanding is found in the Passion Translation. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above, for that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, Feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm, and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities, not with the distractions of the natural realm. Your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, in other words, when he returns, who you really are will also be revealed for you are now one with him in his glory. Paul's letter to the Colossians, the Christians in the city of Colossae, was written in the year 60 AD. The city was located in the Roman province of Asia, in an area that's called Phrygia, or Phrygia, and it's a modern part of modern-day Turkey, 100 miles east of Ephesus. It's the same area as you would find the seven churches listed and talked about in the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. The city was made up of Gentiles, or pagans, and Jews, dating back 225 years before Jesus. So the church, when it was founded, had issues with heresy, Jewish legalism, and pagan mysticism. There was a young man, his name is Epiphras, and he lived in Colossae, and he visited Ephesus and was saved and discipled there under Paul's ministry and started the church when he returned to his home city of Colossae. Major heresies arose in the young church, so Epiphras traveled again to see Paul. This time he had to travel to Rome, because Paul was by now under house arrest in Rome. And Paul wrote this letter that we're looking at from Rome in the year 60 AD. This letter warned the Colossians against the heresies they faced, and the letter was sent by a young man called Tychicus. Tychicus was accompanying a runaway slave named Onesimus back to his master, Philemon a member of the Colossian church. Epiphras remained in Rome with Paul for further mentoring and never did go back to his home church in Colossae. We read in the history of the time 
Several years after the Colossian church was founded, a dangerous heresy arose that threatened its very existence, one not identified with any particular historical system. It contained elements of what later became known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism believed that God is good, but matter is evil, that Jesus Christ was merely one of a series of emanations descending from God, and thus he was being less than God, a belief that led them to deny even his true humanity. And they believed that a secret, higher knowledge above Scripture was necessary for enlightenment and for salvation. The Colossian heresy also embraced aspects of Jewish legalism, for example, the necessary of necessity of circumcision for salvation, observation of the ceremonial rituals of the Old Testament law, the dietary laws, the festivals, the Sabbaths, and rigid asceticism. It also called for worship of angels and mystical experiences. Life in the Roman, M M Roman province of Asia, in the midst of multiple belief systems, that were current in that day in society made it very much like our own world and culture today. When the Apostle Paul wrote to this group of Christians who were living in a time very similar to ours, he helped them to find their spiritual center in the midst of all the teachings and heresies that were going on in the spirit realm. And so he writes, If then you had been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul makes a reference in that last verse, verse 4, to the return of Christ. And he's giving a prophetic insight. He's saying prophetically, Jesus will return, which of course has yet to happen. So the words in his letters are not just for the Colossians, but they're for us as well, because we also continue to wait for his second coming. But Paul always gave practical instructions after writing a prophetic insight. In Paul's writings, practical instruction always followed prophetic insights. So we're going to look at four practical instructions as a result of this prophetic truth that Jesus is going to return, also as a result of the fact that they were fighting the same kinds of teachings and thought patterns and opinions that we are fighting today. But first, think back to a time when you set your heart on something. Can you remember how that idea loomed before you, galvanizing your spirit every single day? You know, I need only talk to people for a few minutes before their heart set comes tumbling out. They want to find their life's partner and get married. They long to start a family and have children. They have a compelling vision to build their own business. They dream of becoming famous musicians. They want to travel to different nations and experience different cultures. When our heart is set on something, it motivates us. It changes us. It energizes us. It makes our eyes sparkle. 
and shine. It puts a spring in our step. It focuses all our divided attention into a single laser intense direction. Even in trying times, troubling times, when you lose a job, when there's a lack of monthly income, the loss of a loved one, most people find it helpful to fix their mind on one thing, something positive, something productive. We call it staying busy, where we fix our focus and attention on something to take our mind and our heart off of the tragedy, the situation, the circumstances we are facing. Paul, in these verses from Colossians chapter 3, counsels us to set our hearts on Christ in such a way that every facet of this life down here, daily life, is transformed by our heart's relationship to him. So let's read the scripture again. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We know that we are destined for heaven, our final destination, and we realize, I hope, that we are citizens of another world, and therefore we are to set our hearts on the things of God, which are perfect and beautiful, rather than the things of this world, which are in disarray and turmoil even at the best of times. So when Paul wrote this statement, he used a verb tense that means keep on doing this, as opposed to a one-time action. In other words, it's not think about heaven at this moment when you have a problem, but it says keep on keeping your mind immersed in God, in his word, all the time. In other words, stay focused. And that's a discipline, and it's a discipline that too few of us have mastered. And it's a discipline that the scriptures and history call the art of heaven-based thinking, the practice of the presence of God, or maintaining your spiritual center, staying centered on the things that God has spoken to us and that we should be applying to our lives. And of course, when you think about your mind, what you think about in your mind soon becomes what you desire in your heart. So we're talking about more than set your mind on things that are above. We're also talking about setting your heart. According to Paul, it means that our desires in our heart and our thoughts in our mind, our wishing and our thinking, the whole of our emotional and intellectual energy is to be directed towards heaven where Christ reigns at God's right hand. And I imagine every one of us has centered our desires and thoughts, all of our emotional, intellectual energy, on various earthly goals, earthly things in the seasons of life. And so the question becomes, can we think and feel with the same intensity that we do about things down here on earth, can we have that same intensity about Jesus? In seasons such as the one we're in now, when the Christian faith is no longer central to community life, 
When the Christian faith is often seen as narrow-minded and bigoted, when the Christian faith is often seen as the enemy and no longer to be tolerated, in times like this, we need to look somewhere for answers. The psychologist tells, we should, tells us we should look within. The opportunist tells us we should look around. The optimist says we should look ahead. The pessimist says we should look out, be careful. And God says we should look up, even when we feel down. You know, Philippians 3 verse 20 reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, to return. Vance Habner, who was a wise old Baptist preacher, who was still preaching, by the way, when he was 96, he said, Christians are not citizens of earth trying to get to heaven, but citizens of heaven making their way through this world. And if we reach deep into Christian history, back to about 149 AD, we find a letter called an epistle, of course, and it was an epistle of a man called Matthias. And this unknown writer described Christians this way. They dwell in their own countries, but simply are sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws, and at the same time surpass the laws by the way they live their lives. They love all men, and are persecuted by all. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are, they lack, they are in lack in all things, and yet abound in all. They are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. So, like them, we are citizens of the kingdom, and Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And so we need to have our heart set on Christ and not on the things of this earth. And when I say our heart, that means our will, our emotions, our hopes, our dreams. But let's switch to our minds. When Paul writes, set your mind, he means have a different understanding. He says it means to be wise, to think, to feel, to have an opinion, to judge, to direct one's mind to a thing, to seek or to strive for, to seek one's interests or advantage. In other words, it's a mental discipline of directed thinking. Finding your spiritual center is a mental discipline of directed thinking. It's focusing your heart and your mind on that center who is Christ. Paul adds the opposite to set your mind or warning against the negative. He says in verses 1 and 2, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So Paul is not telling us to forego or ignore the physical challenges and chores of everyday life, sitting around thinking about heaven and angels. 
But he is saying that our ultimate concern should be with heavenly realities and values governed by the presence and the power of Jesus. Therefore, the physical impulse may be to roll over in bed on that Saturday morning and catch an extra hour of sleep, but the Holy Spirit may be whispering in your ear that he wants you to go and minister to somebody. The Christian trains his or her mind to see those two alternatives and to give precedence to the things of God. We know that God wants us to take care of earthly business and be good managers of what he has given to us to use. I mean, we do live in a physical world and we should do everything, including everyday responsibilities, as unto the Lord. But in his letter to his friends in Corinth, Paul gives us a heavenly perspective on earthly things. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, and I'm going to read verses 26 and 31. Because of the present crisis, the time is short. From now on, those who buy something should live as if they were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things in this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. So Paul is telling us not to set our hearts and minds on perishable things because they're going to pass away. The eternal things must have our allegiance. We must have a spiritual center from which we live our lives. The discipline of focusing our hearts and minds on Christ, or in other words, having a spiritual center, will require us to learn to focus. So in these words that Paul wrote to the Colossians are four truths, are four truths that will help us to stay centered on Christ, that will help us to not lose our spiritual center to all the many things that require our attention in everyday life. So let me quickly give you those four things. Number one, focus on his connection to you. I want to reread Colossians 3, 1 to 4, and I want you to pay attention to the word with. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's important to note that the word with means that we have a connection to Jesus because we are believers in Jesus. When he died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him, baptism being a symbol of that. We share in his glorious resurrection, so we are seated in the heavenlies right now with him. That's why Paul states that we are new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17. That's why Paul says in Colossians, Christ in you the hope of glory. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. In other words, we are with Christ. Christ is in us, so we are with Christ. And we are in his presence, like a big bubble we walk into when we get saved. And so we are in Christ and therefore we're with him. So we could have stated these verses as we are new creatures with Christ, 
because it's our direct connection with Jesus that makes us new creatures. So we need to see the importance of that word with and what it means that he is connected with us in a very real way. The great Chinese Christian preacher and writer Watchman Nee, he grasped it. In 1927, he had been struggling in life with issues of temptation and his basic sinful nature. And one morning he was sitting upstairs reading the book of Romans and he came to the words, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. And he was reading in Romans chapter 6, and that's verse 6. For Watchman Nee, it was as if the words had come to life on the page. He leapt from his chair, ran downstairs, grabbed a kitchen worker by the hands. Brother, he shouted, do you know that I have died? And the worker only stared at him in puzzlement. And Nee blurted out, Do you not know that Christ has died? Do you not know that I died with him? Do you not know that my death is no less truly a fact than his? It was all that Watchman Nee could do to keep himself from running through the streets of Shanghai, shouting about his death and new life with Christ. From that day on, his faith was confident and strong. His biographer wrote that it was impossible to say anything that might offend Watchman Nee. Why should he be offended? The old Watchman Nee was long since dead. Charles Spurgeon, again, preacher in the 1800s, had his own way of explaining this amazing phenomena of dying with Christ. He wrote, I suppose that if you were dead, if you were to meet your old self, he would hardly know you. For you are so greatly altered. I dare say he would say to you, Come, old fellow, let us go to the theater, or turn into this beer shop, or let us go home and find some way of amusing ourselves. And you would reply, No, sir, I cut your acquaintance a long time ago, and I do not mean to have anything further to do with you. So you may go about your business as soon as you like. I am not what I was. For I have been crucified with Christ, and I am dead, and my life is hid in God. One day Martin Luther was answering a knock at his door, and does Dr. Martin Luther live here? And the, he asked the visitor. No, Luther answered, he died. Christ lives here now. So we need to realize and grab hold of how radical this really is, the old is dead and in the grave. The new is raised to walk in newness of life with Christ. The new you is to live victorious with Christ and for Christ. This truth that he is with you, that you have this connection, is just the first of four of the verses, of the verses that will help us to maintain our spiritual center to experience the presence of God in daily life, to master the art of heaven-based thinking. The second one is to focus on his control over everything that concerns you. Focus on his control. So number one, you have this connection with Christ. Number two, focus on his control over everything that concerns you. Jesus is risen and he is ascended. And he's, he's the Lord of all, more than your friend. He is the risen and ascended Lord of all. 
He is the one at whose name every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is in control. 1, verses 20 to 23 in the Message Version reads, All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from death, set him on a throne in deep heaven, in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments. No name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He's in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Remember, you and I are the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. Jesus rules all things, sees everything, and knows all things even how you're feeling at every moment of the day. Even when the world seems to spin out of control, you and I as believers can be calm and walk in faith if we focus on the fact that Jesus is the risen Lord, that Jesus has defeated death, that Jesus has ascended into heaven and has control over everything, everything, everything that is currently concerning you. The Almighty God is still on his throne and in control. And this assumes, of course, that you have made him Lord of your life, that we have made him Lord of our lives, as that then gives him permission to become personally involved in your life and thus take control. So we are to focus on the fact that we are connected with Christ. Secondly, we are to focus on his control over everything that concerns us, Thirdly, we should focus on his care for us. Again, Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, God's hand gently holds and enfolds you. God holds you, protects you, covers you, cares for you. So point number three is focus on that care. But again, it's with Christ, the phrase with Christ in God. Being held by the caring hand of God, I can't think of a more secure place to be. I don't feel secure about my own abilities and skills. I don't have faith in our government. I don't trust the economy as it's unpredictable. I don't follow the latest social media trends. I don't believe any of the current conspiracy theories. But in Christ, I do feel totally and utterly safe and secure. He is my rock. He is my shelter in the midst of any storm that may come my way. And note that we are not commanded to hide ourselves in God. It says your life is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, it's a done deal. 
This is an accomplished fact. This is a here and now thing, not something we are to anxiously hope for. If you are a believer, a Christ follower, then you are with Christ in God, and you are ultimately safe and free. You know, the Bible's actually filled with imagery and language about that security. We imagine ourselves with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a roaring furnace, yet receiving not even a deep tan. And there's a fourth man beside them, and that would be Christ. We ride the whirlwind with Elijah, and ordinarily it might be frightening, but Elijah finds peace in the whirlwind, and so do we. With the mighty arms of the tempest buff buffering him, whirling and thundering all about him, he smiles as comfortable as if he were home in bed. Our security is not found in the things of the earth. Our security is found in our position with Christ in God, where we are hidden. So to find and keep a strong and active spiritual center in life, being heavenly minded while dealing with life issues, practicing the presence of God in the midst of regular activities of the day, number one, we need to focus on his connection to you. Number two, we focus on his control over everything that concerns us. And number three, we focus on his care for us. And number four, focus on his commitment to you. Because verse 4 in Colossians chapter 3 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Jesus is so committed to you that when he appears for all the world to see, when the second coming happens, you will be there with him. If it's before you die, you will be there with him. If he comes back after you go to heaven, you will be there with him. Being part of being with Christ while we wait for his second coming is to become more like him. And today we are being transformed to something just a bit closer to his image every day. So he's committed to have us with him when he appears in glory. But in the meantime, he's committed as well to changing you. You are being transformed today, tomorrow, the next day, into someone just a bit closer to his image. And when he returns in glory and power, the change will be sudden, dramatic, and complete. He will come in his glorious resurrection body, and we will then have perfect resurrection bodies too. Paul constantly spoke of this fact that God will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to Christ's glorious body. You find that in Philippians chapter 3 verse 21. That sounds better than good to me. And as we grow older, we have a deepening appreciation for bodily wellness. I don't know about you, but my tent is growing a bit more tattered all the time. And one day I get to trade it in on a new and deluxe model. This is Christ's commitment to me and to you as well. So we are to place our faith in him, and you and I will be fully and wonderfully renewed, spirit, mind, and even body upon his return. He is promised. He is committed. So to maintain a spiritual center to your life, focus on his connection to you. You are with him. He is with you. Focus on his control over everything that concerns you. Focus on his care for you. Focus on his commitment to you from now to the day that he returns and even later than that. 
We must stay centered in Christ in all that we do. To do that, and this is an application part, we need to learn the difference between hoping for something and hoping in someone. Hoping for something means wanting a particular outcome, a job, a house, a healing, a friend. But all of these earthly hopes ultimately disappoint us, even if what we hope for comes to pass. They wear out, they fall apart, they melt away, but perhaps never materialize, never happen. And we learn early in life to live with the inevitability of dashed hopes. At these important, disappointing times, the question becomes, is there some deeper hope? Is there anything in this life that will never once disappoint us? And the answer is yes, there is. And the Bible points to this one man, one hope, one God, who is worth trusting. Not because of any particular thing he can give us, not because of what he can do for us. We trust him because of who he is. Jesus is God. God who is connected to us. God who controls everything that concerns you. God who truly cares for you. And God who is committed to you. He is the one in whom and by whom we can hope. And hope is faith waiting for tomorrow.